everybody. Welcome to D&D Optimized, part of the D4 network. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons 5e, and we crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, not necessarily to tell you the right way or the best way to build this particular character, but to explore one possible way to build them, hopefully in a way that is both really fun but also really powerful in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D almost as much as playing the actual game itself, or for that matter, if you're just looking for tips or ideas on a particular character that you are going to be playing, then welcome home, because this is where you belong, and I'm super happy that you're here. So thanks for being here. My name's Colby, and I'll be your host. You know, sometimes when you're running a YouTube channel that does character builds for D&D, among other things, you gotta do an Eldritch Knight multiclassed with a Bladesinger because that's what the masses want. And the masses must be appeased. Okay, fine, that's what I want too. But sometimes you just gotta build a character who's built for really fantastic healing, but you impose upon yourself the arbitrary rule that the only heal spell that you can use is life transference. <laughs> Damn the masses, let them eat cake. I want to build a character around a very specific limitation in the name of being true to a character concept. In other words, I wanna do something weird. So, this week, that's what we're gonna do. Before I continue, quick note, if you would like to have a written step-by-step -step guide to this and all of my other builds, please consider joining the channel as a member. You can click a little join button down there. For $2 a month, you get access to my library of write-ups, which I create for each episode, so you can have a level-by-level -level guide to recreate the character yourself if you'd like to. More importantly, I think for most of my members, it's a great way to support the channel and to help me create more and better content, so thanks. But liking and subscribing and just watching is also very helpful and supportive, so thank you as well, even if you don't want to be a member. Anyway, back to the character concept. Now, yes, a healer. And before you get on your healing in D&D sucks soapbox, let me just say this. Yes, it's true that generally speaking, trying to be a full-time or even most of the time healer in D&D can be problematic. The general consensus is that just healing is a fairly inefficient use of your resources, you know, trying to keep your companions healed all the time. I got into the weeds of that argument in my support bard episode a long time ago, my very first healer that I ever did. I don't need to rehash it here in all its detail, just go check that out if you'd like to get into the nitty gritty. Here's what I will say. Well, I think it's generally true that just trying to heal all the time might not be the most optimal use of a player's time and energy, I think it can be done more effectively than a lot of people realize if you build your character in an effective way. More important than that, however, for me, and probably for a lot of you, I'm guessing, is that, well, some people really like playing a character who focuses on healing. Others are at least curious to try it out. And who are we to tell them that they can't or shouldn't because it's suboptimal? No, I am here to try my darndest to find ways to make that playstyle and other playstyles actually work in-game. Because I happen to believe that everyone should be able to play the type of character that they want to play. 
And if that means playing a character whose primary function is to watch out and care for and support and sustain their fellow players, then gosh darn it, I'm gonna do my very best to help them make a character that can do that and do it well. Now, one of the great weaknesses to healing spells is that, for the most part, they don't quite heal enough to keep up with the damage that a character might take in-game. Take Cure Wounds, for example. At first level, it heals 1d8 plus your spellcasting modifier in damage for an average of 7 or 8 hit points. It scales decently well, adding 1d8 per spell level. The problem is, there's a very high likelihood that the amount of healing it puts out at any level is just not going to be enough healing to outheal the damage that an ally might take in a given round. Now, the spell Heal, by contrast, is a fantastic big healing spell that heals for a flat 70 hit points when you first get it. Now we're talking, right? Problem is, it's a 6th level spell, meaning that a lot of characters' campaigns are going to end before they even get it, and for the rest, they'll probably only get to use it once per day. Is there no other healing spell out there that can help us with this terrible healing to damage ratio? Why yes, there is, my pretty, but it comes at a price. Life transference. Now, here's a spell that packs a punch. As a third level spell that's available to clerics and wizards only, life transference for all intents and purposes heals for 8d8 hit points, 36 hit points on average. Giddy up. By comparison, Cure Wounds cast at the third level would only be 3d8 plus your ability score modifier, so about 18 on average, so half. There is one teensy-weensy little drawback to it, however. Before you heal with this spell, you first take 4d8 damage to yourself. And that damage cannot be reduced in any way, so no crazy scribe-wizard shenanigans changing the damage type to fire and using absorb elements or a racial feature or something to resist it, right? So, is the spell worth using? I think probably not, except in case of emergency. But, but... I think if we are careful about how we build our character, we can do things to not only lessen the pain of that self-inflicted damage, but eventually negate it altogether, giving us access to one of the biggest healing spells in game and all but ignoring its very painful cost, making it a super effective and efficient way to be a full-time or even part-time healer in D&D. So here's the rule that I'm giving myself for the build this week. I can't use any other spell except life transference to heal my allies. I can use other things to heal myself, that's fine, but when it comes to healing others, life transference only. There is something within my character, some power that allows me great healing ability, but I always, for some reason, have to fuel that power with my own life, my own vitality. I think it's a fascinating character concept, and I want to see if I can make the idea work or how well I can make it work. Now, I don't know if this is like a spiritual thing or some sort of emotional blockage that my character has that revolves around like some kind of trauma that they experienced as a child or their own feelings of self-worth, but you're basically like the opposite of a vampire, right? You give your own life's blood to sustain others. I don't know if it's incredibly noble or deeply disturbing, maybe both, but either way, I love it. 
I think it would be a lot of fun to explore in game and would be great fodder for interesting and compelling character building and storytelling. So that's the way that I'm restricting myself with this character. Now, of course, you don't have to stick to this rule if you decided to play a character like this. Maybe life transference for you will just be one arrow in your healer's quiver and you'd simply like to know how viable it would be to use life transference as a big heal if you had a way to keep up your own hit points while you're at it. That's totally fine. When I build this character, when I crunch the numbers for the damage reports, it'll be with the intent to only use this spell to heal others. We'll see how viable or sustainable it really is, and you decide from there how strict you'd want to be with your character. Cool? All right then, character concept preamble finished. I proudly present episode 68, The Martyr. Before we jump into the build, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor for the video this week, an upcoming 5e supplemental book from Scoundrel Game Labs called Fey Encounters. As many of you know, I love all things Fey in D&D. I love the potential for danger mixed with the whimsy and the magic of Fey creatures and Fey settings. And if you're like me in that regard, or at least Fay curious, <laughs> then I highly encourage you to check out the Kickstarter for this book, which actually launches today at the time of the release of this video. Quite simply, Fay Encounters is loaded with 60 encounters meant to be used to supplement your own adventure. Whether your entire adventure takes place in the Fey Wild, or you simply want to enhance your adventure with some Fey flavored spice. These, like, plug-and-play type encounters are great if you simply need a random encounter in your session or you need to flesh out a particular story arc or even if you wanted to like take several of them and use them to create maybe a one-shot or even a longer campaign sort of building blocks for a larger campaign it can do all of those things the book is filled with lots of new monsters uh, like the elemental treant or the Feymire serpent there's new magic items like the Chuckle Chime, which is a little bell that you can ring once per day to cast Hideous Laughter. A very Fey-esque spell indeed, I think. And each encounter even gives advice on how to scale them up or down to provide like the appropriate difficulty for your party's level and size. Several of the encounters even offer suggestions for how your party might resolve the encounter without violence, if they're not a bunch of murder hobos. As well as like tips for potential development if you wanted to take something from the encounter and work it into your campaign's larger story. So overall, I think the book would be a really fun and useful tool. I strongly encourage you to go check out their Kickstarter and back the project. Every campaign could use a little more fey. Check out the link in the video description to get to their Kickstarter page. Big thanks to Scoundrel Game Labs for their support. Good luck with your Kickstarter. And let's jump into the build. All right, at level one. For our character class, I think this character is best served by going cleric for a variety of reasons that will be made clear, but not least of which I think it fits thematically. So yes, we are starting cleric at level one. As for our race, as a character who fuels the healing that they do by expending their own vitality, having a character with a well-stocked pool of hit points to draw from will be really important. Hill dwarves unique to all races, I believe, get an additional one hit point per level. So I think they are the best choice here. So yes, I'm recommending Hill Dwarf. An alternative, I think, would actually be a shifter. If you can play with the Eberron book, shifters have a great way to give themselves some 
temporary hit points, which would serve a similar function. And the idea of like a self-sacrificing werewolf type character is pretty compelling. But with Hilldwarf, I also really love the fact that you can wear heavy armor without suffering any penalty to your speed, even if you don't meet the strength requirement for the heavy armor, because as for ability scores, yes, we are dumping strength and we will be wearing heavy armor. So anyway, ability scores, I'm assuming as always the point by method and would say take a 15 in your constitution and a plus one there from your race, 15 wisdom and your plus two there. So you have a 17 wisdom and a 14 charisma. As for equipment, yes, as I mentioned, um, we are going to get access to heavy armor even though most clerics don't. So I'm gonna say take chainmail, take a shield, your other necessities. But yes, at level one, clerics get their divine domain, their subclass. And we are going to go life cleric. And life clerics do have proficiency in heavy armor. So here's what we read about the life cleric. The life domain focuses on the vibrant positive energy, one of the fundamental forces of the universe that sustains all life. The gods of life promote vitality and health through healing the sick and wounded, caring for those in need, and driving away forces of death and undeath. So for a character who plans on being a great healer, it's tough to beat the life cleric, I think. Thanks largely in part to Disciple of Life, the feature that we get at level one, which tells us that when we use a spell of first level or higher to heal, you heal for an additional two plus the spell's level in hit points. It's a nice little bonus. Doesn't necessarily scale particularly well, but any bonus to the healing that you do is welcome. We also, of course, as a level one cleric get spells. We get some cantrips, some first level spells. The nice thing about life clerics is that their domain spells are bless and cure wounds. And we get those for free. They're two spells that we probably would have wanted anyway, meaning that we can take other spells that we might not have been able to get. I would say, you know, take the usuals, guidance, healing word, etc. We might have a little problem on our hands until we hit level five. And it's that we don't have access to the life transference spell until we get third level spells at character level five, right? So does this mean that you can't heal at all for the first four levels of this character's career? You decide, obviously. This is an arbitrary, self-imposed thing. So maybe your story is that you heal for a little bit here and there, but there's some sort of maybe like emotional or spiritual blockage inside of you that is somehow stemming the flow of the true power of life within you. And you haven't yet figured out how to like break through the dam and let the real flood of healing light pour through you just yet. But that's going to change when you hit level five. At level two, all clerics, of course, get channel divinity, which we get to use once per short rest for now. And all clerics can use it for a couple of things. They all can use it for turn undead if they want, which tells us that as an action, we can essentially force undead creatures to make a wisdom saving throw. And if they fail it, then they're going to have to spend their action just running away from you for one minute. Very handy if and when you run into undead creatures. But all clerics can also use their channel divinity for an option that's unique to their domain. And for life clerics, they get preserve life for a channel divinity option, which tells us that as an action, we can use our channel divinity to heal hit points equivalent to five times your cleric level divided among any creatures 
within 30 feet, but that this healing can bring a character up to no more than half of their total hit points. So it provides healing kind of on par with the Paladin's Lay on Hands, but it's got more restrictions placed on it. Right now, it would heal for 10 hit points. This is potentially really useful in a pinch. The no more than half hit points thing is a bit of a bummer. You know, again, can you use this on others? I think for me, I would say no. Obviously, you do what you want. Even if you decide to only use it on yourself, you'll probably find it super useful to just keep yourself alive, especially early on once we get into using life transference. Importantly as well, don't forget that thanks to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, we have access to Harness Divine Power at this level, which lets us once per day at this level use a bonus action to recover a spent spell slot equal to half of our proficiency bonus rounded up. That's important. So a level one spell slot for now that we can recover, obviously. Eventually, I think we'll probably be using our channel divinity for this more than anything, but I'll get into that later. At level three, we get second level spells. I would say pick your favorites. Do you want spiritual weapon? Sure. If you want to do some additional damage and aren't going to be like healing yourself with a bonus action via healing word or something. And I will pause for a minute here and say this. I think that this character will be so good with their heals that you won't really need to be using all of your actions and especially your bonus actions and even your concentration to be healing yourself or others at every single opportunity. So yes, this should free you up to maintain bless as a concentration spell, which your companions will love you for. And or spiritual weapon, which doesn't require concentration and lets you use your bonus action to do some okay damage among other things. It will be nice to be able to mix it up with this character with some damage, some buffs, some debuffs, even control potentially, so that you're not only just a heal bot all the time. Of course, definitely consider taking the other usual suspects here as level two cleric spells, aid, lesser restoration, hold person, etc. At level four, we get our first ability score increase or feat, and I'm going to recommend that we go with chef. Oh, how I love this feat. So first up with Chef, it's a half feat, right? So we get a plus one to our wisdom or constitution here. I'm going to say wisdom, bringing us to 18. Coincidentally, you could choose instead to prioritize your constitution over your wisdom, since, like I said, you will be fueling your healing power with your own hit points. That was actually my plan originally with this character, but after crunching the numbers, I think we'll largely be okay with what we have, you know, a 16 constitution plus hill dwarf. So I think personally, I would prioritize wisdom. That would make a lot of sense because it improves pretty much everything else that we're trying to do as a cleric, all of our spells, etc. Go with constitution if you would rather. But also with Chef, during a short rest, you can cook for your allies, and anyone who spends hit dice to regain hit points during that short rest will gain an extra 1d8 because of your amazing culinary skills. It's sort of like a bard's song of rest. And I would totally allow this for this character, this little additional healing, because it's not in combat and it's also not a spell. Also, with Chef, with an hour of work or after a long rest, you can prepare, wait for it, treats. <laughs> you can prepare a number of them equal to your proficiency bonus. They're good for eight hours, so no day-old donuts here, fresh ingredients only. And if someone eats one, including you, 
they gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. Hold on a second here. So you sacrifice your own health and well-being for others, and you're an amazing cook. <laughs> you're my mom. <laughs> I gotta rename this character from the martyr to the mom. <laughs> Something tells me that might not get as many clicks. At level five, uh, clerics get d the destroy undead feature, which means that if you use turn undead on an undead creature who has a challenge rating of one half or less, if they fail their saving throw, they're simply destroyed instead of turned, which is going to be really awesome in a room full of skeletons. But the big news for us at this level, of course, is that we finally get life transference because we get third level spells. I think if I were playing this character in game, I would talk this over with my DM beforehand and try to make this like a big story moment for my character. Like you've unlocked some greater power within yourself, whether that's due to like a vision that you had with your deity or some other sort of non-religious spiritual awakening or epiphany or something. And of course, it could be sort of like dark or almost ominous as well. You know, why would you harm yourself for others? And and why does that, why does hurting yourself empower your healing abilities? Does it say something about like your perception of your own self-worth or something? I don't know. Regardless, at this point, we get to now, as an action, do 4d8 necrotic damage to ourselves, which cannot be reduced in any way, and in turn, heal one creature that you can see within 30 feet for twice the amount of damage that you take. The damage that you deal to yourself goes up by 1d8 per spell slot, meaning that this already very potent heal essentially does an additional 2d8 of healing per spell level, making it the best scaling heal spell in the game, this side of heal, the actual spell called heal. As for the other spells that we can get at this level, there are a lot of great ones. Of course, third level spells are notoriously fantastic. Uh, Beacon of Hope is potentially very potent if you want to spend the third level spell slot on it, as well as your concentration and an action to cast it. Revivify, I think, is a must-have here in case an ally dies. Insight Greed can be a great control option. I mean, even like Spirit Guardians is a very strong area of effect damage spell that's like really great damage round over round if you think you will regularly have a lot of enemies within 15 feet of you. Now, you are a heavy armor wearer and using a shield. You've got some pretty good hit points and some really strong self-healing options. Being in melee range is not going to be the worst thing for you, and so you can be a little bit of a tanky character here, I think. So yeah, maybe Spirit Guardians would be a good option. Of course, you know, the question I would be asking is, would my party benefit more from me concentrating on Bless? I think that's likely, but you know, just know your options and revel in your versatility. Level 6 is an important one for us. First up, we get to use our Channel Divinity twice per short rest now, which means that we could potentially stay alive much longer if we needed to use Preserve Life on ourselves, or we could recover yet another second level spell slot with Harness Divine Power, and it would be a second level spell slot now because our proficiency bonus is 5, and remember we can recover a spell slot equivalent to our proficiency bonus in half, but rounded up. But then we also get the Blessed Healer feature from Life Cleric, and this is a big deal for us especially. Blessed Healer tells us that when you cast a spell of first level or higher that heals someone other than you, and life transference qualifies here, you regain hit points equivalent to 2 plus the spell's level, so the same amount of hit points as Disciple of Life. 
So now your ally gets that bonus and then you get to heal that same amount as well. Meaning that you would recover five hit points for every third level casting of the life transference spell that you cast. That's not bad. At third level, life transference is going to deal 18 damage to you on average. And this heals back almost a third of that. With the help of like your temporary hit points, with the help of your treats, and or like the aid spell, for example, it will help keep up the battery that you're using to fuel your healing, your life's blood. So at level six, it's time for a damage report. And for a damage report, we're just gonna figure out the total amount of healing that you could do to another creature using only life transference if you were to spend all of your third level spell slots doing so and see how bad it hurts. Right now, we have three third level spell slots, which would do, like I've said, 18 damage to us each on average for 54 damage total. As a hill dwarf with a 16 constitution, we currently have 57 hit points. <laughs> so we're cutting it close, but we will recover 15 hit points of the 54 that we deal to ourselves, thanks to Blessed Healer leaving us with 18 hit points on average still after we've cast all of our spells. So we should be able to cover that damage unless we roll a lot higher than average. But then again, we can always bolster our own hit points with treats, with our channel divinity, with the aid spell, and our own lower level spell slots for cure wounds or healing word if need be. As far as how much healing we could do in combat to an ally, it would be 36 hit points on average per life transference spell plus five, right? Two plus the spell level from Disciple of Life for 41 hit points on average each casting or 123 total healing on average just using those three life transference spells. Not bad at all. In all likelihood, the average hit points of your fellow party members at this level is going to be around 40 to 45 on average. Barbarians are going to be more, right? But wizards are probably going to be less. So if you had, say, three other companions in your party, you could probably heal all three of them from zero to full health, or at least nearly so, at least once per day, at the cost of nothing more than three spell slots and your own life. <laughs> You are a life cleric indeed, one who gives their own life to save others. So 123 hit points, compare that to the first support healer build that I did that I mentioned earlier, the support bard. They were doing at this level 129 combat healing. And yes, I, I, I talk about combat healing when I build healing characters. I don't count things like Goodberry bonuses to healing during a short rest or other things that you wouldn't use in combat. And I thought at the time that that was amazing, right? That support bard. But they were spending every single one of their spell slots to heal. This is almost the same amount of healing, but we get to keep all of our first and second level spell slots. We just don't get to keep all of our hit points. <laughs> but it is about to get a lot less painful for us as well. So, right, we're not quite knocking ourselves out yet with our life transference castings. So I want to really push the number of times per day that we could use the spell as well as increase our spell levels to make it more potent. That's my first priority for how we continue on with this character. And of course, picking up other ways to heal ourselves uh, while we're at it is also very welcome. So this means that if we're going to multi-class, we don't want to delay our spell slot progression. And I do want to multi-class because I don't think we get a ton more out of life cleric 
with this character for our specific purposes. So this is going to mean no non-caster or even half-caster classes right now. I don't want to slow down that spell slot progression. And no warlocks yet. As warlock spell slots are separate and distinct from everyone else's, right, when you multi-class. Now, one thing that I think we can get some great benefit, however, is from the druid class. So at this point in our character's career, they are feeling drawn to the natural world for some reason. And I mean, it makes sense, I think. Where better to learn about life, growth, and perhaps maybe more importantly or thematically for us, the way all organisms sustain themselves and grow and even heal by drawing energy from other organisms, right? So yes, at level seven, we're going to be a druid level one. And as a druid level one, we first up get the druidic ability, which is essentially mostly for flavor. It's kind of a special language, a symbolic language that druids can use to sort of speak to others who know druidic. And we also get first level druid spells and some druid cantrips, of course. I think the, the big standout here is Goodberry. Um, it's famously efficient, especially when coupled with Life Cleric, as it produces 10 berries that can be eaten as an action. And then thanks to the Disciple of Life feature, each of these berries heals for a flat four hit points. Um, they also provide sustenance for an entire day, so it serves a nice utility purpose as well. Again, whether or not you decide to allow your character to feed their party good berries outside of combat, I think is up to you. I think I would allow it for my character here as it fits nicely both with my chef motif and it's primarily only useful outside of combat. Again, because it requires an action to eat one, I don't think rules as written you could like cram 10 into your mouth at once and just get 40 healing with one action uh, from a single first level spell. Besides, that would give you a massive tummy ache. It is a very efficient healing spell, but not particularly powerful in combat, I don't think. Also, very importantly, because of multiclassing here, we do get fourth level spell slots now, meaning that we could upcast life transference to deal 5d8 damage to ourselves. <laughs> Yay. And then heal double that, though, to an ally. At level 8, we would be a druid 2. And there's a lot to talk about here. So first up, we get Wild Shape as a druid level 2. Very iconic for all druids, right? Twice per short rest. As an action, we can transform ourselves into a beast with a challenge rating of one quarter or less that does not have a flying or swimming speed. It lasts for a number of hours equal to half our druid level rounded down, so one for now. Largely, I think we'll only be using this for utility and we might hardly even ever use it at all because at level two, druids get their subclass, their druidic circle, and we are going with the circle of stars. Something, or for us, I think, some being is calling to us from the heavens. Maybe it's our deity themselves. Maybe it's an emissary of theirs. But we're feeling drawn to the heavens. We're looking for and finding additional power as we search for greater strength to sustain our allies and perhaps fortify ourselves against the pain that we're suffering by healing them. So as a star druid, we get a star chart. It can be a scroll or a stone tablet or even a crystal that projects starry patterns when you hold it before a light. So cool. That can serve as a spell focus for your druid spells. 
And while holding it, you get the Guidance Cantrip. You probably already have it already. Too bad they won't let you pick another if you already know it. But anyway, you get the Guiding Bolt spell for free, and you can cast it proficiency bonus times per day without using a spell slot. It's That's decent. Uh, you know, 46 damage for a first level spell plus advantage for an ally on the next attack that they make. You know, not bad if you're not needing to use your turn to heal. Not amazing, but not bad. And then we also get Starry Form. So as a bonus action, you can expend one use of your Wild Shape to take on a Starry Form. You retain your game stats, but your body becomes luminous. Your joints glimmer like stars, and glowing lines connect them as if on a star chart. You look like a constellation. So cool. It lasts for 10 minutes, and it even sheds bright light uh, within a 10-foot radius and then dim you know, out to 20 feet. But then you choose which constellation you take on between an archer, dragon, and chalice. The archer option, ooh, Orion, lets you make a ranged spell attack as a bonus action for a little bit of damage. I'm definitely planning on doing a build one day that utilizes this in like a sustained DPR build. The dragon option, ooh, Draco, lets you treat anything that you roll below a 10 as a 10 on your wisdom, intelligence, and concentration checks when you have that dragon form. But we, of course, are here for Chalice. Ooh, the Big Dipper, I guess? In Chalice form, when you cast a spell using a spell slot that restores hit points to a creature, like Life Transference, for example, you, or another creature within 30 feet, but most importantly, you can regain hit points equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier. Ha <laughs> ha! Now, obviously, if you don't want to hold yourself to the I can only heal others with life transference rule, this is a fantastic way to add additional healing to the healing that you're doing to your friends. If you're being a stickler like me, this is still a really fantastic feature because it lets us further mitigate the damage that you are doing to yourself with life transference and I love it. All right, at this point, I actually would like to dip into a third class, but I really want to get to fifth level spell slots first. So we're going to we're going to stick with one of these two classes. The reality is I don't think it matters all that much whether you go druid or cleric here. What it basically boils down to is this. Do you want second level druid spells or fourth level cleric spells? Initially, we might be tempted to think fourth level cleric spells, duh, because fourth level spells are better than second level spells. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure about that. Fourth level cleric spells I don't think are particularly amazing, maybe outside of Death Ward, which is very good. That's my opinion. Uh, Banishment actually is a pretty good control spell as well. Death Ward is a fabulous, you know, if you drop to zero hit points, you instead only drop to one spell that doesn't even require concentration and lasts eight hours. It's pretty great. Second level Druid spells, on the other hand, have some really great options, I think, that aren't available to clerics. In the end, I think the main reason why I'm going to stick with Druid here is this. Not only are the spells arguably better, but I actually want to keep those 4th level spell slots open anyway to cast life transference. So I would rather have like more and better 2nd level spells 
which can't be used for life transference, then fourth level spells that I might not even want to use at all because I'm planning on healing with those fourth level spell slots. You feel free to go back to cleric if you want to. We're going to stick with druid for another minute. So at level nine, we'd be a druid three. And yes, we get second level spells. There are several that I would be interested in here, I think. Healing spirit, it's not amazing, but with concentration and a bonus action, you summon a spirit that can heal 1d6 hit points when you first move into it on your turn or start your turn within its space. It will do this one plus our wisdom modifier times before it gets used up. Obviously, you could use it to heal others, but assuming that we just use it to heal ourselves, that's 5d6 of healing on us over time. Not terrible for a second level spell slot. So I would say use it if you need to. The other great potential options here would be heat metal for some really nice damage against an enemy wearing metal armor, especially pass without a trace, fantastic utility. Summon beast, you guys know I'm a big fan of this spell. It's pretty decent damage and doesn't require your action or your bonus action or anything to get it. The spike growth spell, I'm also a big fan of. So anyway, lots of good second level spell options here for druids. More importantly, I think as a druid three, we're going to get fifth level spell slots now, thanks to multi-classing. So life transference does 68 damage to us and heals for twice that. So that is muy poderoso. Time for a damage report at level nine. We now have three third level spell slots. Again, that, you know, casting life transference would do 18 damage to each of us for 54 damage total, but we would then recover five hit points for each casting, thanks to our cleric feature, and now 7.5 hit points each thanks to our chalice form. So 12 and a half hit points recovered with each casting meaning that you would only be down five and a half hit points after you cast the spell, but again, still healing for 41 hit points to an ally. Now, we also, at this level, have three fourth-level spell slots that do 5d8 damage to us, or 22 and a half on average, but again, we heal back six from our cleric feature and seven and a half from our druid feature, so 13 and a half hit points recovered. So you're really only down nine hit points with each casting of, of life transference at the fourth level, but healing for 45 on average plus six from Disciple of Life for 51 healing on average. And then we have one fifth level spell slot that does 60 68 damage to us or 27 on average, but then we regain seven from our cleric feature, seven and a half still from Druid for 14 and a half, meaning that we're only down 12 and a half hit points on average, but we heal for 54 plus seven with that fifth level spell slot or 61 total. So the total hit points that we would be down after casting all those spells is 56. We currently have 84 hit points, plus treats, plus other ways to increase our own hit points and heal ourselves. So I feel confident that we should be okay. And we've done 337 total healing on average with those six spell slots. That's a lot of healing. At level 10, we would be a druid four. I, I want to cap my wisdom. I wanted to take one more druid level here to do that. And I think, again, wisdom is the way to go, both to increase our own self-healing from our chalice form, but also, of course, to improve the DC and the plus to hit, etc., of all my other druid and cleric spells. But at level 11, even though we've done a pretty good job thus far of healing back and mitigating a lot of the self-harm that we are doing, nobody wants to constantly be at like half health in the middle of combat, right? I mean, it's not like the monsters just aren't going to be attacking you too. 
unless you just have the kindest DM in the world. And so I think it would be wise for us, now that we have fifth level spell slots and a capped wisdom score, to look for ways to make the healing that we do to ourselves even stronger, to make the damage that we take from our self-sacrificing even less painful and dangerous. And my favorite way to do that is by going with a third class here. So as our martyr has become increasingly interested in and empowered by the heavens, constantly gazing up at the stars, searching them for answers, for aid, they've discovered a heavenly being. Perhaps you were seeking to understand more about the upper plains and one of their inhabitants noticed both your interest and also your selflessness and your self-sacrificing nature and admiring your dedication to helping others even at the cost of your own life have offered to give you additional power and aid in your work. Whatever your reasons, we're taking some warlock levels now. And as a level one warlock, we get our subclass, our otherworldly patron. And we're going to go with the Celestial. I'm actually really excited for this because I've been wanting to do a Celestial Warlock. I've never done one before. And it's been a little tough to work into any of my builds that I've done to date until now. But for this character, I think it's a perfect fit, both thematically and mechanically. So here's what we read about Celestial Warlocks. Your patron is a powerful being of the Upper Plains. You have bound yourself to an ancient Empyrean, Solar, Kirin, Unicorn, or other entity that resides in the plains of everlasting bliss. Your pact with that being allows you to experience the barest touch of the holy light that illuminates the universe. Being connected to such power can cause changes in your behavior and beliefs. You might find yourself driven to annihilate the undead, to defeat fiends, and to protect the innocent. At times, your heart might also be filled with a longing for the celestial realm of your patron and a desire to wander that paradise for the rest of your days. But you know that your mission is among mortals for now and that your pact binds you to bring light to the dark places of the world. There's some really juicy, flavorful stuff in there, I think, that we could potentially tie in to our character's story, whether they're a very noble, self-sacrificing character or maybe a very troubled and sort of damaged character. But as a Celestial Warlock, we get the Healing Light feature. So we get a pool of D6s that can be used to heal. We get one plus our Warlock level in D6s, so it does scale pretty nicely the more levels in Warlock we take, of course. And then we can use these D6s as a bonus action to heal someone within 60 feet. Now, obviously you do what you want, but for me, I would only use these to heal myself. And I would kind of see it as, I think, like my patron maybe helping me shoulder the burden of like my sacrificial healing, right? Taking the brunt of that damage for themselves, maybe. I don't know. Now, in a single round, we can only spend two of these dice at a time because it's based on our charisma modifier and our charisma is only 14, but still healing 2d6 as a bonus action when we need it and while we have the dice to do so without needing a spell slot is not a bad little self-heal, especially if we're out of treats. Then we do, of course, get some warlock spells, cantrips, first level spells here. Keep in mind that, like I said, warlock spell slots don't mix with your other spell slots. 
but they do reset on a short rest, which is really nice. So for now, we only have one first level spell slot, but we get it back at every short rest. We can use our warlock spell slots for those cleric and druid spells if we were to cast a cleric or druid spell at the first level. As for the spells that you're going to want to take, there are a lot of good ones. Celestial warlocks do get a couple of bonus cantrips, light cantrip, sacred flame. We have quite a nice little list of cantrips at this point, actually. Uh, very handy, but you know, as far as your other spells, I'd say pick your favorites. I think I'd probably want to go Armor of Agathus. This is a strong spell. It's unique to warlocks and I guess conquest pallies. It was a staple of both my Thornlock build. That was a fun one. If you haven't seen that if and you're looking for something else that's kind of weird, check out the Thornlock. Might be my weirdest. And my Abjuration wizard tank build as well. That was one of my favorites. Anyway, Armor of Agathus requires an action, but no concentration. It lasts for an hour, and then it gives you five temporary hit points. Again, remember, you can't stack temporary hit points. But when an enemy hits you with a melee attack and you have Armor of Agathus on, they take five damage, so long as you have the temporary hit points at least one of the temporary hit points still on you. That's pretty nice. We do already have a source of temporary hit points and we'll be getting more in a minute actually, but this scales really nicely, right? Adding five more hit points and returning five more damage per spell level. So I think it would be a really great use, particularly of like our second level spell to get 10 temporary hit points and deal a little extra damage just to kind of brace ourselves for when we go and cast life transference. At level 12, we would be a Warlock 2. We do get a second spell slot now, a Warlock spell slot. So two spell slots per short rest, very nice, especially when added to all of the other spell slots that we have available to us from our Cleric and Druid levels. But then of course we also get Eldritch Invocations here. And I love Eldritch Invocations. I always want more of them than I can actually get. We only get two. And I would make sure to at least get Fiendish Vigor. Whatever else you pick, just know that we're actually going to swap it out at the next level. So, you know, pick something, but don't get too attached to it. As for Fiendish Vigor, it's fantastic because it lets you cast False Life on yourself as a first level spell at will without spending a spell slot. Um, it does cost an action, which is a bummer, but you get 1d4 plus 4 temporary hit points and it lasts for an hour. So I think you should be able to just come to an agreement with your DM that you just cast this on yourself all of the time, like every hour right before it expires, so that you can always sort of have it on you when combat begins without having to spend an action to do so, right? A free six or seven temporary hit points isn't amazing, but it will be just one more buffer to the damage that you deal to yourself. Level 13, we are a Warlock 3, and this is a very big level for us. So first up, we get second level Warlock spells. I'm going to say pick your favorites, Invisibility, Misty Step, Suggestion, all fantastic spells. Remember that, you know, our Warlock spell slots are second level now. Generally speaking, if you're going to use a second level spell, I would use these spell slots first, even if it's a Cleric or Druid spell, because again, we're going to get them back on a short rest. But speaking of spell slots, keep in mind that because our proficiency bonus is five now, we can use the Cleric's Harness Divine Power to use Channel Divinity to recover a third level spell slot. Since Again, it's half of our proficiency bonus rounded up. That means one more casting of life transference if need be. In fact, because we are a level six cleric, it potentially means two more third level spell slots 
in a given day. So I'm just going to assume when we crunch the numbers that we have two more third level spell slots available to us. Even though we might decide to use, you know, one of those channel divinities to heal ourselves or even turn undead, I'm assuming more spell slots. Also, as a warlock level three, we get our packed boon. So our patron bestows a gift upon us. And we're going to take Pact of the Chain. Pact of the Chain lets you learn the Find Familiar spell, typically only available to wizards, and you can cast it as a ritual. In addition, we get more powerful options for our familiar than the usual Find Familiar spell. We can choose between an imp, a pseudo-dragon, a quasit, or a sprite. Arguably, the imp is probably the most powerful option, but I don't see this particular character taking the attack action and then letting the pet make an attack, um, though we do have that option if we want. I also have a hard time imagining this character with an imp or a quasit, as they are both evil. If it were me, I'd probably just take the sprite, I think, and then just let it stay invisible all the time and just take the help action to give one of your allies advantage on an attack while staying safe. And remember, you can only take opportunity attacks against creatures that you can see, so your little sprite should be able to kind of do this, take the help action with relative safety most of the time. Now, whenever we gain a warlock level, we can swap one of our invocations. So at this point, we are gonna swap that second invocation, whatever we got last level, for the gift of the ever-living ones. It's one of the main reasons why I wanted to go warlock, actually. With this invocation, whenever we roll dice to heal ourselves, you treat all dice as having rolled their maximum value. This is amazing for us. So now, that 1d8 plus wisdom modifier that we heal every time we cast a spell to heal someone else, like life transference, thanks to our chalice form, is now just eight plus our wisdom modifier, so 13 healing total. That one or two d6 that we used as a bonus action to heal ourselves thanks to the Celestial Warlock's healing light is now just six or 12. If we ever use a spell slot for cure wounds or healing spirit or some other healing spell to heal ourselves, or even when you recover hit points during a short rest, or even drink a healing potion, you just heal the maximum amount. This is strong on any character, frankly. But for someone like us, who fully intends to be constantly spending their own hit points to heal others and then subsequently healing themselves to make that tactic sustainable, this is fantastic. So for our level 13 damage report, let me get just a little geeky crunchy with the numbers here to explore what we could possibly heal to others while mitigating damage to ourselves as much as possible. So assuming that during the course of a fight, you cast Life Transference with all five of your third level spell slots, and yes, I'm saying five thanks to Harness Divine Power, all three of your fourth level spell slots and your one fifth level spell slot. You know, whether that happens over one long fight or over the course of a couple, three, you know, different fights throughout the day, the total that you would heal your allies with those spells is 419 hit points on average, including the Disciple of Life bonus. Now remember, for every third level spell slot, that you spend on life transference, you take 18 damage on average, but now, as a life cleric, star druid in chalice form, pact of the chain, warlock with gift of the ever-living ones, you will recover five hit points from life cleric and 13 from star druid for, that's right, 18 healing. <laughs> My brain is just singing right now. We have achieved perfect harmony and should basically 
end up with the same hit points that we started with before we cast the spell on average when we cast it at the third level. Now, the fourth level spell slot hurts a little more, so it will deal 22 and a half damage to us, and then we're gonna recover 19. So we do take three and a half damage on average. The fifth level spell slot deals 27, and we get back 20, so now we're down seven hit points for that fifth level spell slot. But so, after all of our life transference spells are cast, we are down about 18 hit points total on average. We have three Healing Light D6s from Celestial Warlock that will heal us for, you guessed it, 18 hit points. <laughs> so we should, after all of our life transference spells are done, be down zero HP. You're like the worst martyr ever. You didn't even get hurt. I'm always giving so much of myself for you ungrateful people. Stop being such a victim. Now. These damage numbers are averages, of course, like I've said, so it is possible that we might hurt ourselves even more than I've said, in which case we heal for even more, so yay. But I mean, keep in mind, we did start with seven temporary hit points from Fiendish Vigor, so that'll help. And we do have treats to use if we want, or the Healing Spirit spell, not to mention our other first and second level spell slots that we haven't even touched to use cure wounds or healing word etc etc and that is amazing and it makes me so happy at level 14 i want to go warlock 4 so we can get that ability score increase or feat i think i probably take the tough feat here it's not strictly necessary due to all of the self-healing it might have been more important earlier than it is now but due to the fact that our hit points are still the battery or even like the mana pool upon which we draw to fuel our healing abilities, I like playing it safe and buffing that pool as much as we can now that our wisdom's capped. Feel free to do something else, of course. Resilient dexterity wouldn't be a bad choice with how low our dex modifier and dex saving throw is, or even resilient constitution, because we aren't proficient in our constitution saving throws. You know, that would give us better con saves, better concentration checks. You decide. But at level 15, we are a Warlock 5, and we get third level Warlock spells. And of course, there are a lot of great ones. Fear, Hypnotic Pattern, Counterspell. Just keep in mind that if they do require a roll to see if it hits, or like a saving throw from the enemy, they are going to be based on your Charisma modifier, which isn't great for us, so maybe focus on spells that just work, like fly. I, of course, am planning on using those third level spell slots for more castings of life transference. And this was another really big motivator for me to stay warlock, actually. And the fact that they reset on a short rest just really takes our healing power to the next level. We do get a third Eldritch Invocation at Warlock 5 as well which is very welcome. If it were me, I think I'd probably take Eldritch Mind. We don't have, like I've said, Constitution Saving Throw Proficiency, uh, unless you took Resilient Con last level. And even though we have a decent Constitution score, this would give us advantage on our Concentration Checks, which is always welcome as a Spellcaster, especially with all of the damage that we're going to be consistently and constantly taking. At level 16, I think that, you know, the last few levels, there's plenty of routes you could take both cleric or druid for the higher level spell slots. Maybe there's a particular spell from one or the other that you really want. I think for me, I'd just as soon get to fourth level warlock spells and spell slots, which again, refresh on a short rest, not to mention a fourth invocation, which would be really great. So I'm just going to stick with warlock. At Warlock 6, we get Radiant Soul. It gives us resistant to radi resistance to radiant damage. Admittedly, not a damage type we face 
a lot of from enemies in D&D, but it's not nothing. And then when we cast a spell that deals radiant or fire damage, you can add your charisma modifier to one roll of the damage against one target. Pretty lackluster, especially for us, but I'm sure we'll get a little use out of it once in a while. But then finally, at level 17, we would be a Warlock 7, and first up, we'd get a fourth invocation. There are lots of cool and fun and useful options, as always. I think my favorite here for this build would be Tomb of Levistus. The way it works is basically when you take damage, you can use your reaction to give yourself 50 temporary hit points and entomb yourself in ice. This is both really cool visually, but I can see an instance where like, for whatever reason, you're already really low on hit points. You're, you're in a really tough fight. You're low on hit points, but so is your ally and they're gonna die or maybe they're already unconscious and you wanna throw out a big life transference spell to bring them back, but doing so might take you out. So this would let us still throw out that big life transference, but then the damage comes, we burn our reaction and Tomb of Levistus to give ourselves 50 temporary hit points. The damage comes off the temporary hit points first, of course, our friend takes the healing, and then we're encased in ice for a turn. Now, there's a big downside there in that we're going to now be incapacitated until the end of your next turn. So you're basically skipping your next turn and like losing concentration if you were concentrating on a spell, etc. You can only use it once per short rest, but it would make for a really awesome moment in game, I think, if and when you needed it and could be super clutch. We also then of course get fourth level warlock spells. There's some really good ones. Dimension Door is probably my favorite here as again it just works and it's super valuable for when you and or a friend really need to get somewhere that's 500 feet away. But of course I'm going to assume that we're using those fourth level spell slots per short rest for life transference. We're not necessarily going to need it for that, but it is time for our final damage report. So here at level 17, we still have the five third level spells, plus now five fourth level spells, thanks to our warlock spell slots, and the one fifth level spell. The total number of hit points that we would be down after using all 11 of those for life transference, but then healing back a big chunk of the damage that we take is only 25 hit points. At this point, our character has 190 hit points with lots of ways to give ourselves temporary hit points and additional self heals so that we would really not even feel that 25 hit points of damage. But the total combat healing that we could do with those castings of life transference, 521 on average. And some of those we can do per short rest, right? So <laughs> that's fantastic. It's just fantastic. And again, we're still left with our concentration and our first and second level spell slots to do all the other cool things that spells can do. So let's get into final thoughts. I had so much fun with this character, if it wasn't apparent. I think they would tell such a great story. When I first started out, I honestly thought that I was like accidentally going to be knocking myself out pretty easily by leaning too far into the life transference spell. Um, and so I was actually almost a little bit frustrated when every time I did a damage report, I was like, ah, I still have too many hit points left. <laughs> So I actually first built the character with a focus on constitution, the tough feet, etc., instead of wisdom, but then I swapped it once I sort of realized that 
I just wasn't gonna die from life transference regardless. Of course, we are playing it pretty risky, especially at those early levels. So if you're gonna be playing this character, I think, especially if you're if you're going to be playing this character at lower levels and you're not gonna get to, you know, the that sort of mid to upper tier of play, it wouldn't be a bad idea to prioritize your constitution over your wisdom early on. I would really like to know your story for this character. Why is it that they can only heal when they take damage? I think it's a fun and unique character concept. There's a lot of potentially cool stories that can be told that, that could potentially come out of it. So let me know in the comments. That's pretty much all I had to say about it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the build this week. I love you madly. I hope you know that. Thank you so much for all of your support. Thanks for liking and subscribing and all the things that you do to make these videos in this channel possible. Couldn't do it without you guys. So I hope that you check out the other content in the channel, all the sliding into my DMs and Tales of Anaria stuff. But other than that, have a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate Thanksgiving and you're watching this before Thanksgiving. Um, and just have a fantastic week. And I hope to see you again real soon. Thanks. Take care. La 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 la. Healing spirit. Ah. But even if you decide to only allow yourself <laughs> to use it on yourself, that felt like Austin Powers. Waiting for my wife to run the blender. We get to use our channel to channel to. Where was I? I cannot find my place. There it goes. Can you hear that? Does it even pick it up? I think it does. For a special... For a, for a unique... For an option that's... Un oh my goodness gracious. Uh, Disciple of Life? Is that what it was called? Um, I think so. Yes, Disciple of Life. If you can play with the, uh-oh, Eberron? Eberron book, maybe? <laughs> yes, Eberron. I'm so smart. <laughs> you might have three hit points, cast life transference, and instead of taking 18 damage, you just take three, because that's all you have left, but you're still gonna, well, no, that would actually suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny.